Father in heaven, truly you are great and greatly to be praised. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, I I pray that right now, even now, that you would move in this place. That in spite of a foolish servant, in spite of an unworthy messenger, that God, you would speak. God, that You would forgive us where we fail You. That You would challenge us. Lord, that we may strive to follow after You. Lord, that those who come in this morning, those of us who need comfort, that You would comfort us. Those of us who need encouragement, that You would encourage us. Those of us who need to be convicted, Lord. We ask that You would convict us. Father, all of this is possible through the preaching of Your Word, in the power of Your Spirit. God, would You receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Would You help us, Lord, to worship You, to hear from You, to focus our hearts and minds on what You have done for us through Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Right now, because of some of the restrictions and guidelines, we are still not having child care. And so I want you to be aware that there may be some children that call out to us during the service, and that's fine. Parents, don't feel like you got to get up. Don't feel like you got to take kids out of this place. We are a healthy and growing church. God has blessed us bountifully, and those cries and All those complaints and moans and groans, those are very welcome in this place. Okay, so just know that we agree with that together. There are churches where they would love and they long to hear the moaning and groaning and whining and crying of little babies crying out to the Lord in the midst of the assembly. Okay, so do not let that distract you or bother you. Let's just enjoy it together. Okay, because kids are praying and praising along with us this morning. We're going to continue in our sermon series through the book of Exodus We are in Exodus chapter 5, so if you want to go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 5 here in just a moment, we'll be reading that together and we'll stand once again in a moment uh, to read chapter 5 in its entirety, verses 1 through 23 of Exodus chapter 5. What we finally get into this week, after all of the preparation, after everything that Moses has gone through in his life, After all of the persecution, after 400 plus years of slavery and servitude, finally, finally, Moses and his brother Aaron are going to talk to Pharaoh. I want you to remember all of the things that have taken place up until this point. The fact that Moses is even alive is a miracle of God in and of itself. Pharaoh being afraid of the Israelite people and forgetting about Joseph and how God used Joseph to deliver all the Egyptians and the entire world. They forget about all of that and he becomes afraid of the Israelites, tries to kill them off. And he has all the baby boys murdered. And yet, Moses' mother in faith hides him away. And Moses survives. He grows up in Pharaoh's house. He then goes out one day and sees an Egyptian and an Israelite struggling together. He tries to act as a prince and a judge. 
and ends up killing the Egyptian and burying him in the sand, trying to hide his sin. And we saw that you can't hide your sin from the Lord. His sin was found out because the very next day or very shortly after that, he goes back out and sees two Israelites struggling together and tries to be a prince and a judge over them. And they ask him, who made you a prince and a judge over us? And we will see the irony of that statement coming back again here in chapter 5. This morning, So knowing that his deed was found out, he fled. And so he spent about 40 years being a shepherd and knowing and wandering and being in the lowest of low. He's gone from the highest of high to the lowest of low. And we looked at last week how he was a man divided among people. And so even after the Lord spoke to him and commissioned him and he adamantly and ardently tried to get anybody else. Remember his last plea. Please, Lord, just send anybody else. He finally submits and he and his brother Aaron are going to go. But on the way, you remember the Lord met him because he was still riding the fence, so to speak. He was not living as a Hebrew. He was not living as an Israelite. He was raising his son as either a Midian child or an Egyptian child. And the Lord said, you can't be my man. You can't be my servant and be identifying yourself with these other two peoples. You're either in the covenant or you're out of the covenant. And so the Lord has a come to Jesus meeting, so to speak, with Moses. And now Moses is in the covenant. The Lord knows he's on the right side. He's on the right side. His family's all in line. They're ready to go. And in this chapter, we will see the interaction between he and Pharaoh. They've already met with the elders of Israel. The elders have seen the signs, the staff and the leprosy. Remember going into his coat and pulling it back out and his hand being leprous and the water turning to blood. Moses has been faithful in all of these signs. And we're told at the end of chapter 4 that the Israelite elders believed. They saw Moses. They had trust in Moses. And they said, Moses... You go talk to Pharaoh. This sounds like a great plan. And so we pick up this morning in Exodus chapter 5. So if you'll take your Bible and turn with me this morning, and much like Jake said, if you don't have one, borrow one from the pew. You're welcome to look on your phone or your tablet to follow along on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible, truly, we're not joking, that's our gift to you. Just keep one of the Bibles in the backs of the pew, and we'll put another one in there before next week. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would encourage... If you are physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? As we look together now at Exodus chapter 5, we'll read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 23. The word of the Lord says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past, 
Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day. And when there was, as when there was straw, and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks! And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle! You are idle! That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So they met with Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This morning we come to chapter five and there are some important things For us to notice and recognize, but I want us to see just a scope of where Scripture is leading us, where the story in Exodus is going. In verses 1 through 21, we get a description of the initial audience and request before Pharaoh. Then from verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, the Lord gives promises and encouragement in light of the response. So in light of everything that we just heard, know that the Lord is about to respond to Moses with words of encouragement, with actions that will encourage Moses. It's important for us to keep that in mind as we read through this passage this morning, because it can be very discouraging to see what happens to these people who have already suffered so much at the hands of Pharaoh. But know that God's encouragement is coming. Verses 10 through 30 of chapter 6 will then give us a genealogy of Moses and Aaron that records their particular antecedents in light of the roles that they will fill when Israel is brought out of Egypt. So this is also encouragement, but it's a little bit harder to see. It's a little bit thicker. When you hit chapter 6, verses 10 through 30, the reason that this and this, this genealogy, all the people who preceded Moses and Aaron is given is so that there's a context to understand. I am going to bring you out 
of the land of Egypt, says the Lord. And when I do, these will be the people that will lead you. These will be the people that will be over you. And this is why, because these are the tribes from which they descend. So I know sometimes it's very difficult for me personally when I hit the genealogies to go, man, Lord, this is your word. This is inspired. But so and so begot so and so begot so and so begot so and so. Praise God. Hallelujah. I feel uplifted in the spirit, I guess. I don't know. But I I promise those genealogies are there on purpose and for a purpose. Those genealogies are to show where Moses and Aaron came from and where God is taking them. It's part of the encouragement. It's important for us to know that God is going to encourage Moses as a response. But all of chapter 5, we we see very little, if any, encouragement. So the initial request, Moses and Aaron, go before Pharaoh. And this phrase that we say, right, it's, it's very common among preachers. It's very common in church. If you've spent a lot of time in a good old Southern Baptist, Bible-thumping kind of church, Thus says the Lord. I mean, there's just authority to that, right? That's what all the prophets will say coming up after Moses. Moses and Aaron set this precedent. They stand before Pharaoh and they say, Thus saith the Lord. God is speaking and you will listen. And it's so incredible because Pharaoh recognizes how vital this phrasing is. He recognizes that there is power and authority in that phrasing. Look with me at verse 10. When you look at verse 10, what does Pharaoh's taskmasters say to the people? The taskmasters are supposed to be representative of Moses and Aaron, and they are speaking on behalf of the God, Pharaoh, and he tries to invoke the same power, right? Look at verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and they said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will give you no straw. This is the dichotomy that is set up. This is the struggle. These are the two powers that are pitted against one another. Who will triumph? Thus says the Lord or thus says Pharaoh. And thus far, all we see in chapter 5 is Pharaoh's word seems to carry a lot more weight than the word of the Lord. But God is doing that on purpose. But don't miss that Pharaoh is intentionally mimicking God, he is poking fun at the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true creator God. He is making fun of the way that God chooses to speak through his servants and mimicking them by telling the taskmasters to use the same formula in the way that they speak. At no point in this discourse, at no point in the book of Exodus, should we look at Pharaoh with sympathy in our hearts. And go, well, the poor guy just didn't know. The poor guy just didn't have complete understanding. The poor guy, he mocks the Lord at every step. And God's purpose and intention in all of this back and forth with Pharaoh is to prove how weak and futile Pharaoh really is. Pharaoh is not a God at all, and the one true living God is going to prove that, not just to Moses, not just to Aaron, not just to the elders of Israel, but to all the nation of Egypt and all the nation of Israel. And you'll you'll remember with me that in the book of Joshua, Rahab in the city of Jericho, the reason she believes in the Lord is because she's heard the stories Of how God, the one true living God, Yahweh, put Pharaoh to shame 
and brought the people up out of the land of Egypt and established them and is in the process of establishing their land. And Rahab knows, man, God is going to take over this land and give it to his people. She understands. That's why she hides the spies. So it is known and talked about for generations to come, this clash between Pharaoh and Yahweh and how Yahweh utterly humiliates Pharaoh in every step, at every point. Except for some reason, he doesn't do it right off the bat. It's not an immediate, Woo! Man, there's the power of God! Woo! This is good stuff! Moses didn't even throw down the staff. I mean, he... He didn't do the thing with the hand. You know what I mean? Like he didn't go, oh yeah, Pharaoh, well, we'll put your hand in your cloak and, 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 and you just watch what happens. He didn't say, well, look, look, God gave me this, this here stick and you watch what I can do with it. He doesn't go, oh, the Lord told me the Nile's going to be bloody. Watch what we can do with this cup of water from the Nile. He, he doesn't do any of that. Moses' obedience has, has like gone out the window. He just walks up to Pharaoh and says, thus says the Lord. That's all they do. He, he doesn't begin with the power of God. He, he just says, here it is. Here, this is what the Lord told me to say, so I'm, I'm going to say it. And so Pharaoh laughs. I don't know the Lord. Man, the irony that is just filled in that statement. I don't know the Lord, says Pharaoh. He says, who is the Lord that I should listen to His voice and obey Him? I'm Pharaoh. Who is this guy? You want me to just obey and bow down to this guy? And look at Moses' request. The request in and of itself. It's not even let my people go, period. It's let my people go and, and we're, we're just, we're just going to take a three-day journey and, and then we're coming right back. Look, we'll be right back making your bricks, Pharaoh. It'll be real good. We build you a nice pyramid. It'll look like a triangle no matter which way you look at it, Pharaoh. It's going to be great. I just, I'm just excited about making it. We just want three days. That's all we want. We just want three days. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember the... The three, the three, this, we're supposed to be let my people go. Let, let my people go that they may worship me. I don't know what happens to Moses and Aaron before they approach Pharaoh, before they get to this point, but they are filled with discouragement because Pharaoh laughs and mocks God. Who is the Lord? When it says who is the Lord, that, he, he mockingly says the name of the Lord, the name that, that God revealed to Moses. Has the audacity to say it out loud and just throw it off the cuff like it's nothing. And so, Moses, thinking that he's in the middle of obeying the Lord and being obedient, he goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh laughs and mocks the Lord. Laughs and mocks at Moses and Aaron and says, You know what? I tell you what. I tell you, y'all want to go make feasts and go worship the Lord? You ain't got enough to do. That's the problem. You ain't got nothing to do. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. And so you got some idle hands. So I tell you what we're going to do. We've been giving you the straw and now you find it on your own. We got storehouses full of straw, but they're locked. You can't get to them. Tells the taskmasters to go before the people and tell them. And so the people scour all the land. We just heard they scour all the land looking for straw. And all they can find are little pieces of stubble so they, they can't make any bricks. So then the taskmasters, look at the middle management here, okay? The taskmasters then go to the foreman. These are Israelites. These are the, the foreman, the job site supervisors who are Hebrews. And they go to these people, and then those people get beat. I mean, savagely beat. So the, the people are being oppressed, and their middle management is really feeling the pressure. 
So I just want you to be aware, if you are in middle management or have ever been in middle management in your life, know that this pressure you feel is literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years old. There have always been managers who are going to put extra pressure on the supervisors. There are always CEOs who are going to go to department heads and hold them accountable for things that may or may not be their fault. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have had that conversation with your boss that says, sir, you wanted me to train, or ma'am, you wanted me to train the employees to do X, Y, and Z, but we have no training manual. We have no book. We have nothing that we can do. I don't understand how you want us to train them. I didn't tell you to get a book. I told you to train them. So get out there and you train them or you're fired. But you said you'd give me a book. I never said such. You just make it happen. Have you ever, you ever had those conversations where it makes no sense and you're like, this is the dumbest person in the world that I work for. I, I just have no idea how he expects me, how she expects me to do this job being ill-equipped to do the job. That's what happens to the taskmaster, to the, to the foreman. The taskmasters beat the foreman, and then the foreman, they go over the taskmaster's head. You ever been at work? You ever been at work? And that email chain, right? That passive aggressive email chain where somebody emails the person above you to go around you, even though they've already talked to you about the question. And they get Moses and Aaron to go with them. Moses and Aaron are waiting outside the door, expecting like, oh man, what's Pharaoh going to say? Oh man, now the, now the foremen are talking to Pharaoh. This is going to be good. Let's just wait and let's see. They all go to Pharaoh. They go to the top dog. Listen, my manager wouldn't listen to me. I'm going to go directly to the CEO. I'm going to say, listen, Mr. CEO, I've been trying my best to make all the bricks for you. I want you to have good exports. I want, I love the idea of the pyramid. I like every pyramid. They're great. We want to make the bricks. We really do. These are going to be wonderful monuments. They'll be around for thousands of years. People will remember your name. It's going to be awesome. But we just don't have any straw. So the reason we're not making our quota, it's not really our fault, Pharaoh. It's actually yours. But you're great, Pharaoh. I love you. But this is your fault, not my fault. Has anybody ever had that? conversation with the boss. I'm doing my best, but really you haven't done your job, so I can't do. How how well does that conversation usually go when you blame your shortcomings on not just your boss, but the CEO of the company, the president and founder of the company? It's not not usually a good thing to say it's your fault that I'm not doing my job. And, And that's what the foremen say. So as you can imagine, Pharaoh's tickled pink to hear that it's his fault that they're not doing their job. And he says, shut your mouth and get back to work. And so they leave and they're very discouraged. And they see Moses and Aaron right outside. Just just right outside the door. As they're walking out, Moses, hey guys, how did it go? What, what was Pharaoh's reaction when you told him it was his fault we're not making the bricks? And they said, uh, Moses, Aaron, all due respect, Appreciate you guys coming with us in solidarity. That's awesome. But you hadn't been beat with a rod, and you're the one that made us stink in the first place. How do you think it went with Pharaoh in there? He told us to shut up and get back to work. What else did you think was going to happen? Come on, Moses. Come on, Aaron. This is your fault. Y'all went and talked to him. I thought you were going to do all the stuff with the miracles, man. What happened to the power of God? What happened? Y'all just walked in there, and now all of a sudden things are harder. It didn't get no better. We didn't leave. What's your problem? And so then the foremen go, and you can imagine the same way that that negativity just infects all the people of Israel. Because, you know, bad news travels three times faster than good news. Everybody loves to argue and grumble and gripe and complain. That bad news is going to travel fast. Guess what, guys? Moses and Aaron couldn't do jack for us, so we're still making bricks. 
went out strong. They made a stink to Pharaoh. And now everybody hates Moses and Aaron. And so Moses does all that he knows to do. He turns and he turns to the Lord and he says, Oh Lord, why have you done this? I believed you. I followed you. I was, I was, what happened? And we'll wait and, and see the Lord's reply. But folks, this is so applicable to me and you. This is what happens to us. When we don't obey, when we're not faithful to the Lord, when we're the ones who are not following, when we think that we're doing what the Lord has called us to do, but things get worse, not better. And we turn to the Lord and we go, Lord, why haven't you delivered me? Why haven't you made it better? Lord, I went, I talked to my boss, but the pressure got worse. It didn't get better. God, I thought you said that you know the plans that you have for me and, and they're plans for a bright hope and a bright future and things are supposed to be good for me. Lord, I, I don't understand. I'm following you. I'm being faithful. What's happening? Well, folks, I don't know if, if you've experienced this before, but there's two possibilities here. Either you're truly being faithful and things seem to be going in the wrong direction or maybe you really aren't being faithful and that's why things are going in the wrong direction. Both are plausible. And you might say, well, well preacher, how, how do you know that? Let's look at some other examples. What Jake read for us this morning, what Jake read from Acts, do you know what happened to Paul? He has just been commissioned in Acts chapter 13. Paul has this amazing conversion and he's on the way to Damascus. His name is Saul. And Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And all of that happens. And Saul turns into Paul. And then he goes and gets plugged into a church. And he becomes great friends with Barnabas, this man who is an extreme encourager. And they feel called of God to go on a mission trip. And so the whole church gathers together. And in Acts chapter 13, they pray over him. They lay hands over him. They plot out the course. The Holy Spirit leads them. The Holy Spirit moves. It's one of the most powerful types of services that you can attend. And they launch out. But then, when they get to this place, in Acts chapter 14, they come... The Lister. And the Jews that they just visited in Antioch and Iconium follow them and incite riots against them. And Paul, who's being faithful to the call of the Lord Jesus, doing exactly what he's been told, the exact letter of what God told him to do. And he is making disciples and he is preaching God's word. And there is such resistance that they come and they stone him until they are assured that he is dead. And then they drag him outside of the city and they leave him for dead. In that moment, if you're Paul, right, you got to be thinking, what happened? You told me to go talk to Pharaoh. I went and talked to Pharaoh. Things got worse. They didn't get better. Lord, you saved me. You, you made me understand and aware that Jesus, you're the Messiah, that you're the way to salvation and that I was persecuting the church in error. And now I know that I'm following your ways. I know that I'm doing what you would have me to do. I know that I'm in the center of your will, God, and yet I'm being stoned to the point of death. Miraculously, incredibly, those who are already part of the church, they come and they circle around Paul, and they pray over Paul. And I, I don't know if he was really dead. I don't know if he was just at the point of death. I can tell you this much. The, the angry mob 
was sure that he was dead. That's the only reason they left. They stoned him and kept throwing rocks at his head until they were positive that he was dead. Then they walk off. And God brings him back to life, heals him or restores him or whatever that is. And what does Paul do? That's it, y'all. I'm out. I can't do it no more. It's crazy. These people are nuts. They, they tried to kill me. Do you understand? They threw sharp rocks at my brains. And I fell unconscious to the ground. I might have been dead. I'm not really sure. I'm done with this missionary work. I know that everybody at the church felt like I was called. But y'all was wrong. I ain't going to do this no more. Paul doesn't say a word of that. The rest of the passage, he, he goes back. Look at verse 21. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Antioch and Iconium were where the people who started the riot came from. Lystra was where he was stoned to the point of death. And Paul doesn't just quit and give up. He doesn't just assume I must have misinterpreted God's call in my life. He says, you know what? This is hard, and it's going to be hard, but I'm going to stick it out. Because it's worth it for the Lord. And even goes back to those cities. Listen to the list of of things from 2 Corinthians. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just want you to listen to all of the things that Paul encounters while following his call directly from the Lord. Directly from Christ Himself of what to do and how to share and where to go. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, picking up on the last half of verse 23. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the last half of verse 23. Listen to what he says. Far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. Adrift at sea. You don't even know if somebody's going to rescue you. Like, talk about my nightmare, okay? I got left off the boat and I'm just out in the middle of the open water floating around for a day and a night. He's adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at the sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that I've planted. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Man, God put a call on Paul's life and it was nothing like what maybe he anticipated. There were no rainbows. There were no butterflies. It was always torture. It was always hardship. And he knew he was right in the middle of God's call. There's another story, another example from the New Testament of somebody who is faithful and suffers persecution, suffers hardship. There's a, there's a book in the New Testament called Philemon. It's one of the shortest books in the New Testament, okay? It's a very brief Letter, you may have read it before, you may not be familiar with it. It take, it, it is placed right after the book of Titus, right before the book of Hebrews, okay? So in the New Testament, if you go right past the book of Titus, right before the book of Hebrews, there's probably going to be this one page book in your Bible, in your New Testament, talking about Philemon. It is a letter from Paul to this man who was a church planter, who had a church in his own home named Philemon. 
And he had a servant who ran away, stole from him and ran away. And Paul encounters this servant. His name was Onesimus. He encounters Onesimus and Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus. And so Paul says, Onesimus, here's some things that you got to do now that you're a Christian. But but wait, Paul, I'm a Christian now, so things should be good, right? God's going to be with me and bless everything that my hand touches. Nothing's going to get harder because I'm following the Lord, right? And Paul says, actually, no. I'm going to write a letter to Philemon, and you're going to take it to him. (laughs) Hang on, Paul. You You don't understand. If I go back to Philemon, he can have me thrown in jail for the rest of my life. If I go back to Philemon, he could make me property of his own. He could make me a chattel slave. Something that is a possession of his. I have no rights in his household. He can do whatever he wants to me. He could beat me. He could take what I owe to him from what I stole in pounds of my flesh. You want me to take my letter, your letter, to Philemon and hand deliver it? Paul says, yeah. Now that you're a Christian, it's what God's calling you to do. But what if Philemon doesn't respond in grace and mercy and forgiveness? It's not on us, man. He might not. Might be real ugly. But you've got to carry this letter and you've got to take it to him. Paul writes this letter. He introduces himself. He's probably under house arrest. Paul and Timothy greet Philemon together. They explain how, even though Philemon lived in Colossae and they were in Rome, that they, by God's sovereignty, by God's grace, have run across Onesimus in Rome under house arrest. And during that time, Onesimus has become a Christian. They explain all this in the letter. And then I want you to look at how Paul closes. Verse 25 of the book of Philemon. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He says, Onesimus is a brother now. Treat him with grace and mercy. I urge you, I encourage you to forgive him and restore him. But you do what you got to do. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Letter's over. Do what you do. Onesimus took the letter. And that letter and that act was so impactful that it's still recorded in Scripture. It's still part of our Bible. That's how powerful this encounter was. And yet, Onesimus, following the word of the Lord, almost certainly was going to put him in a worse situation. He was free and clear. There was nothing. He was in Rome. Philemon couldn't get to him. It's not even close to like what it is today. It's not like you could swipe a credit card and track where he went. Onesimus could just vanish and be free from being an indentured servant for the rest of his life and never have to deal with that again. But once he followed the gospel and Paul said, you got to go back, he went back. Sometimes being faithful to the Lord results in our situation being harder. Sometimes being faithful to the Lord results in our situation being more difficult and more strife filled. We'll have peace. We'll have security. We'll have courage like Paul and courage like Moses to go back into the situation to face it head first, full frontally on, to take it just as it comes. But there's absolutely no guarantee that it's going to get easier or going to get better. Or following the exact will of the Lord is going to make things a better life for you. I can't promise that you're going to get a better house. I can't promise that all your kids are going to start loving you. Listen, pastor's kids are are historically and, and usually rumored to be the worst kids of everybody's kids, right? 
I can't promise you that just because you love Jesus and follow Him and strive to do everything that He calls you to do, that everything in your household is going to just line up just right. Sometimes you're going to go to Pharaoh and do what God said, and Pharaoh's going to make it worse, not better. Sometimes you're going to go and do what Jesus says, and you're going to be a missionary on a foreign field that you know God's called you to, but as soon as you get there, one of you or your spouse comes down with a terminal illness and dies. That happens. What do you do when you followed God's call to the mission field and they stoned you to death? What do you do when you followed God's call, were faithful and obedient, and yet it resulted in tragedy and hardship when things got worse? Listen, folks, we, we, we are adamantly and ardently against a health and wealth gospel, but at the same time, we really don't like to think about this. Maybe you do, okay? I, I, maybe I'm judging too quick. I don't. I don't. When my wife and I packed up and we moved down here to Bethany, one of the most constant thoughts in my mind is, Lord, what if things go really bad? God, what, what do I do if we get down there and the church starts to fall apart? What if when people listen to you preaching through me week in and week out, drives people away and the church begins to falter? How do I know, Lord, that you're, you're going to make everything okay? And, and that's when, regardless of the outcome, you have to remember what God said to Moses in chapter 3. God said, Moses, I will be with you. I'm actually going before you. I'm going to be there. You've got to remember what Jesus said. I'll be with you even unto the end of the age. And folks, if ever it seemed like the end of the age, maybe World War II was a, a big time like that. But, yo, 2020 is starting to stack up, all right? It's, it's starting to look kind of like it's rough, okay? But even if 2020 is the end, Jesus promised on His way back up into heaven, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Even if following me makes it more difficult in your life. Even if people reject you. Even if people turn against you. But what we have to be sure of is that we're in the category of being faithful and experiencing hardship and not in the category of not being faithful and possibly experiencing hardship because we're not faithful. Sometimes it's very hard to discern what God is saying to you. Sometimes it's very hard for me to discern, is this thus says the Lord or is this thus says Nathan? It's very hard to discern that. And you may walk into something thinking, thus says the Lord, when really it was thus says me. You may think you're being obedient to the Lord's call, but, but you haven't done the things that God said would show His power in you and through you. Like Moses before Pharaoh. God's going to come back and He's going to encourage Moses. Moses is going to do those things. But it is plausible that some of this hardship is because Moses wasn't faithful to the call on the front end. So how do we know when we're being faithful to the call? Let me tell you two broad principles, okay? Broad principles for understanding and discerning the will of the Lord for your life. 
All right, this is not going to be something that you can apply to. Is the Lord telling me to go to this school or that school? Is the Lord telling me to go to this job or that job? These are broad principles to apply to what God is calling you to in your life as a follower of Him. Does it drive you to His Word? Does it have the support of the people of God? Is it founded upon, based upon God's Word? Is there support from God's people, God's church, so to speak? Even in the midst of all that was happening, Moses still had the support of the elders. The elders saw and believed Moses and stood behind Moses even when the foreman turned against Moses. You see, the people of God still supported Moses in their leadership. This was still following what God's word was to Moses. Moses, stick it out and tell Pharaoh. Moses' actions were then based on God's word and support from God's people. If you feel like God speaks to you and says, I'm supposed to go somewhere and do something crazy, and everybody that you know and love and respect who is a God-fearing believer and member of a local body of believers says, I just don't think that's what God says. I, I don't think that lines up with God's Word. That should be like a huge blaring stop sign. That should be one of those signs that's in the middle of the road that says, Road closed. Detour this way. If you're going to go the wrong way, you've got to drive through that sign. Folks, everybody wants to pray for a sign and know, how do I know the Lord's will? If everybody in your church and everybody that you revere as a God-fearing spiritual person is against your decision, uh, you might want to check up. If you can't find any support for what God is calling you to do in His Word, you really need to check up. If God tells you to strap a bomb to your chest and go to a stadium filled with people and blow yourself up, and you are trying to use the story of Samson pulling down the stadium of Philistines to justify that, you're misinterpreting Scripture. Go back to the other step. No honest, God-fearing believer is going to look at the story of Samson and go, well, Christy, I, I, makes a lot of sense to me. Samson pulled down the stadium. Maybe you ought to strap that bomb to your chest and go run in there and blow up during the Alabama game. I mean, it is Alabama War Eagle, right? You know, I mean, maybe that's what you ought to do. Nobody's going to tell you that. That's a gross perversion of what is happening in God's Word. God is calling us to be faithful to His Word and to follow with His people. He told Moses before Moses ever went, they will believe you. One of Moses's, one of Moses's complaints, one of his excuses was, what if they don't believe me? And God said, Moses, the elders will believe you. The church will be behind you. Even when Paul was stoned and laying dead outside Lystra, the church was with him and behind him on his mission. And you know how Paul knows? Because they gathered around him and prayed and he just stood up like nothing happened. And then when he got back to his home church, they sent him out two more times. Folks, if what God's calling you to do in your life drives you away from His church and away from His Word, it's probably not the Lord talking to you. That's probably not thus says the Lord. That's probably thus says me. Or thus says you. The other issue you might run into 
is you might be in Pharaoh's camp. You might be in Pharaoh's camp. You think the Lord is calling you to do something or to go somewhere or to be a part of something, but in actuality, your answer to the Word of the Lord and the voice of the Lord is identical to what Pharaoh says. But Pharaoh said in verse 2, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord. Folks, there's some of us that really think we've heard a word from the Lord. We've been attending church on and off. And we've heard God speak to us. But it doesn't line up with anything in His Word. And we're not even a part of His church. And our answer can't be, well, that's just something crazy. And I, 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 don't, I don't know about that. Your, your answer is, maybe I really don't know the Lord. Maybe when I hear His voice, I don't know what it sounds like. Maybe you just know of the Lord, but you don't know Him. Remember last week? If this is your hobby, get a new hobby. Church is not a hobby. Following Christ is a way of life. But if church has only been your hobby, and your only involvement with the people of the Lord is once a week, for maybe an hour, and you think you've heard the voice of the Lord calling you to do something or go somewhere, but you don't even have people you can turn to and ask about it. You don't even know God's Word to discern whether that's something God would call somebody to. Then maybe your answer is actually you don't even know the Lord. And you don't know what His voice sounds like. So this morning, we've we got three total options. Alright? Moses experienced hardship either because he wasn't being faithful to the Word of the Lord. He was being faithful and it was hard anyway. But in our lives, we could also experience that hardship because we're in Pharaoh's camp. And we, we don't know the Lord. We don't know His voice. This morning, Scripture has a challenge for all of us regardless of which camp we're in. Folks, if God's called you to be faithful to something, if God's called me to be faithful to something that lines up with His Word and is supported by your church family, do it. Everything that God calls you to do. Even if it means selling everything that you have. Even if it means moving across the country, across the globe. If God calls you, be faithful and do it. Because you may be experiencing hardship because you're not being faithful. I may be experiencing hardship because I'm not being faithful. If you're being faithful right now, and it's hard, hang in there. God knows it's hard. It was hard on Paul. It was hard on Onesimus. It was hard on Moses. But God is always there to encourage you and keep you going. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And He will be with His children even unto the end of the age. But that brings us to the last category. If you're online or here in person and you're in this category, and as you think through it, you discern you really don't know the Lord or know His voice, you've got to fix it now. You've got to fix it today. 
You've got to submit and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. You've got to understand there's only one way to be in a right relationship with God the Father, and that is through Christ the Son. And you've got to be willing to say, I surrender and submit all of my life to You. Lord, if You call me right now to be Paul and go get stoned to death, telling people about Jesus with my very last breath, that's what I'll be. If You raise me up and send me back in there, I'll do it again. But you've got to be willing to say, I'm willing to die so that I might be saved. Because it's worth it. It's worth it. Because even when you face hardship and trials, following the Lord, He is there. If you don't know His voice today, if you don't know Him, would you trust Him today? Would you follow Him? Would you believe in Him? Believe that He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And that no one gets to heaven. No one gets to paradise except through Jesus Christ, the Son. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word, for the truth found in it. God, we thank You for the opportunity to worship You. Lord, we thank You that You love us unconditionally. And Father, we ask that in these moments You would help us to respond and be faithful to Your call on our lives. Lord, to follow every letter of what You tell us in Your Word. To be willing to go wherever You call us to go. To be willing to do whatever You call us to do. Lord, we ask that if there is anyone listening who doesn't know You, that they would hear Your voice today. Lord, that You would draw them unto Yourself even now. Father, we we pray that You would move amongst us this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name.